0: Hey folks, welcome to The Crude Life. We're going to get to the exclusive interview in just about 10 seconds, but first I want to tell you about an American Energy Worker Special. If you go to MyPillow.com and insert the promo code OTIS, that's O-T-I-S, you can get an amazing deal right now on a six-piece towel set made with USA cotton for $39.99. It's $110 value, yours for only $39.99 with the promo code OTIS. The six-piece towel set plus many other exclusive amazing deals at MyPillow.com. Just use the promo code Otis. Please enjoy this exclusive interview.
1: Brett Schell, CEO with Cold War Technology.
0: Excellent. Thank you for joining the program and being patient while I had to fix a few levels here in the industrial forest studios. That's kind of the way it goes when you're in construction mode. In fact, everybody in oil and gas right now kind of feels like they are changing their oil while driving 90 miles down the interstate. At least a lot of people I talk to, and uh, Brett Schell, how are you doing today?
1: Yeah, no, I'm doing good. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate
0: it. You bet. Did that? Did that uh, driving down the interstate, changing your uh, oil at the same time, kind of uh, strike a chord there? Kind of connect?
1: Oh <laughs> well, yeah. Well, we're, we're an oil and gas uh, software service company, and we've been in it for the last five years. So we've been changing oil and racing a race the last five years well
0: that's much. rather interesting so you got into it right when the downturn was either kind of happening or just getting getting done with huh uh,
1: about a year i would say 12 months before we were, we found it and really started going and uh 10 12 months in we dealt yeah we were dealt that first uh initial major downturn
0: okay and what is it you guys are doing cold bore. Technology. So cold, as in the regular word cold, bore, yep. B-O-R-E, not, you know, in Texas, you got to clarify because of their feral hog problem. Right away, their yep. minds go right to B-O-A-R. So it's cold bore technology. Uh, what does it you guys do? And uh, who's your customer? Uh,
1: so customers are all the biggest oil companies uh, in the world and all the biggest service companies in the world. So frack coil, wireline, pump down. Uh, what we do is provide a, a central standardized master control system for completions and fracking. Uh, think of it like uh, with the process of fracking that's out there right now. The oil company has a lot of major service companies, Halliburton, Slumberjay, all these guys on their locations, doing parts of a job, um, and we are that central control system that was that's put out there to connect all these guys so that we can share data now on site, move data, standardize data collection, automate processes between these guys. So we're the connection point and the platform that's uh, being put into the industry to automate and make it a lot more efficient so that we can all communicate.
0: Now, you've got offices both in Calgary and down in, is it Houston, Texas, in Texas where you're located?
1: Yeah, yeah, you're right. we got some guys, uh, we got storage facilities and shops and some guys in Pennsylvania, I you know, oh. the, the major areas. Oh,
0: even better, even better. So my point is you've got some different uh, diversity in terms of uh, point of view and feedback and you know even to the tune to where you have international, which is very important in oil and gas because of the way Canada approaches land and environment versus the United States, there's still a little bit of a philosophical difference. So my, my question to you is with the word technology um, we're, we're the last couple of years, it's interesting because you know some of the primitive, technologies from 100 years ago are making their way back, you know, for water management and recycling and that sort of thing. So it's interesting to see how the word technology is really, um, it's almost becoming confusing to people like the old way it was like, oh, computers. And then it got a little bit more of the computers and then it turned into software. And then it turns into, well, how, how is it these days? Is the, is there an education barrier still? Is there a little bit of a difficulty of an entry point or talk to me about the educational awareness with the word technology?
1: Uh, yeah, I think you make a good point. Actually. Uh, I know you make a good point because we kind of fight with it in marketing. Um, and it's not just technology. So to your point, the the issue with what's happened in the last four or five years so you have a major downturn uh, you have these huge companies that need to restructure and the first couple years is spent in shock and awe right and so they're not really paying attention to much else externally they're worrying about themselves internally laying people off getting stuff in order rejigging their processes figuring out what they can get rid of and shed and then they're trying to rebuild and figure out the new plan Two, three years into that, and then all of a sudden, you know, three, four years into that, they start looking at technology because they get their plan set, they've shed what they needed to shed, and now they get into the market where they're like, okay, now we have to make a change. And when that change happens and, and the free market in the US and Canada especially, they recognize that, that's when all the buzzwords come in, all the new companies, all the, everybody with a solution comes in, and they just flood the market with the same words over and over. Technology is one of them, big data, APIs, you know... ML, AI, whatever you want, automation, um, fully fully autonomous, like all these things. And so we try real hard. I mean, we have to use words to describe what we do. <laughs> so, but we try real hard not to over buzzword what we do and be very specific. So, I mean, the, if you just want to throw technology out there, you can apply it to almost anything. And the the operators get really confused. Of, you know, they hear every pitch that comes into their office has some element of AI and ML. And it's a water hauling guy. Like, what are you talking about? You know what I mean? Like, why would that have AI and ML? Or,
0: <laughs> well, and people might like, be wondering, why, I'm sorry to interrupt, but I, no, people no, might be wondering why we're talking about this. Listen, folks, we're in the second half of the year now. And the second half of the second half of the year is when people go into those boardrooms to make the decisions for the next year. And when they start getting bombarded with words like technology used in a thousand different manners, they kind of just throw their hands up. And now that same thing, in my opinion, and this is why I wanted to transition into uh, the same topic, but with just a different example, I believe that's going on right now with ESG. I think that so many people are using that word and they don't even know what it means. They don't even understand what it means. They just know that that's how you can get the money. That's how you can direct the dollars. That sort of thing. Um, do you see any comparison there between kind of the the buzzword part or just the marketing side of things? You know, the the the, the full marketing versus the legit marketing, and just talk to me a little bit about that side of it. Yeah,
1: yeah, you nailed it. ESG is the hot topic right now, right? Um, two three years ago, it was blockchain and crypto. You know yeah. what I mean? And everybody wanted like. Even in oil and gas, people, you know, we do we deal with contracts as well, hyperledger-based contracts. And you know, anyway. So you nailed it. ESG is where everyone's looking right now. And it's it's pushed down from um, politics, right? So it's it's economic, it's socioeconomic and politic, politically driven in our countries that right now that's the hot topic. Ban fracking, ban pipelines, ban this, ban that. Oil companies bad. Oil companies know they still have to make money. Everyone knows we still have to produce oil and gas, uh, whether they want to admit it or not, for another 50 years in a a really large capacity. But there's such a massive amount of pressure, especially from the way our culture operates now, that if you get some bad press, it can really proliferate fast and affect your stock price, can affect your company, can affect how people view your company. So they really just have to put a push on ESG. And so everyone, like I said, free market caters to what the operators need and service companies need. And they, they want to adopt new technology. Number one, they got a business to run. That's what everyone, like let's let's be honest and adults about what we're talking about. We're capitalists. These are businesses. We're here to run businesses, provide return for shareholder, and do it in the most sustainable way we can, right? Most of us. Now, ESG, that, that's just a way to throw like, it's it's almost something you have to put on there now because your shareholders expect from a PR perspective that you are doing whatever you're doing to become more efficient, make more money, but you're doing it in a more sustainable fashion, which is great. And we all want to do it. But what that does is it just drives everybody to attach an ESG tag onto the back of their company, regardless of what it is, which then again, like you said, it's just that same old cycle. It makes it hard for them to really de- to understand who is going to actually help me improve my ESG and who is just making, putting up a, a green logo on their website.
0: We kind of laugh because, you know, we've been covering ESG for 10 years. It was um, something, it was called something else before, And then there was another one around and I can't, I, then the acronyms escape me because there's every industry has got so many acronyms. And then when I go to the vending machine, I'm fried because A, A, B, B, that's where I want to get the chips. Right. And so it's just, you know, my, the acronyms, I'm just kind of the alphabet people have just done it to me, but, um, they, now I totally lost my train of thought. I apologize on that. (laughs) Uh, No. Um, That's why that's why we started actually uh, putting putting out ESG actual things because we've been covering it for so long and uh, because we were fortunate enough to follow the Meridian Energy Group and the Davis Refinery being built out in Belfield. And right. they have been. I have never seen a company held to the f- uh, their feet to the fire like the Meridian Energy Group. Honest to God, I have never in my life, and I've been covering com- uh, you know companies for thirty years in in the media, and yeah. we we had them on every week. And the, the the litigation involved, and the bush league politics from both sides, and just all the different things that that went into what they had to basically prove. That they weren't lying over and over and over again. That's how I always looked at it. Like, so we, we just started. You know, we figured this out a while ago. So we, we actually started putting out ESG things. So while everyone else is saying buzzword, 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 we're saying another example, another example. We're actually starting our public um, meetings now with the industrial forest uh, in September. We've got two scheduled in North Dakota, one in Texas. Uh, in October, so it's just—it's one of these things where it's like technology. When when all the buzzwords started coming, those people that actually had the plan in place and were moving ahead, were, were yep. the ones that were doing it, um, and yep. that's how you got obviously the customers that you got. So yep. uh, let's let's kind of divert a little bit to to reality here, away from the buzzwords, and yep. you know you you guys are actually administering and doing things that are ESG. Talk to me a little yeah. bit how companies can either you know, put the paragraph in their ESG report at the end of the year or how, you know, they can start thinking along the lines of okay, these services that are being offered, that's exactly how we got to integrate them into our 2022, you know, plan, that sort of thing.
1: Yeah. Yeah, so um with what we do, I think we get asked a lot of questions. Our, our platform is broad. Um, and so when we get asked to define it, it is it is that the, the fracking and completions industry has never stepped back and taken a look at a pad from a holistic perspective, the whole pad. And that's just been because the service companies that are on it are so big. They run their own systems. They're all like there's six companies. There's six control systems. There's six different timestamps, six different formats, six different everything. And that's just the way it's been. And people just accepted that that is so complicated that it's just gonna have to stay that way and we'll manage it the best we can, right? And so then they look, when that when that happens and that was the generally accepted consensus, then when you're trying to look at ESG and reduce greenhouse gas and do all that stuff, then you have to get away from looking at the pad holistically and just go to each service and say, what can we do individually, right? Because we can't look at the pad holistically in any real sense. We kind of brushed that aside and said, this is the problem. We're not figuring out a way to look at the pad holistically. We're not looking. We're not. it's it, There is a definitely a way to connect this pad with a central control system. Have everything come through it. It's plug and play, and then have visibility to all your frac coil wireline pump down. Have all the services sharing data. Replace all the people that are interacting on that pad with radios and sig- hand signals and handshakes with instance-based automation from a central hub. So a computer in the middle sending signals that knows the plan, saying frac stage one, you go, and it sends a signal to their control system. When they're done, their control system notifies us. We notified the next company's control system. Now it's your turn and do that a thousand times over to complete a pad that turns that pad into a fully autonomous pad because what is needed for full autonomy on pads, 85% of that is generally out there right now because each service company, frac coil, wireline, they all have their own control systems. They're just not connected and there's no brain that knows the process or the order in which they have to take their turn. That's us, right? And so when you implement that, you change the whole script. Now all of a sudden we do have visibility, control, and standardized plug and play automation for every pad. So what that means is we dramatically increase the efficiency of that pad, we dramatically reduce the days on pad, the time to do it, because we don't have any people making mistakes or waiting on each other or any of that. It's just computer driven. Frack stage one, go. Wellhead, you go. You're done, Frack stage two, go. Wellhead, two, go. Go, 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 go. And the result is that, I can give you a real life example with Hibernia, they had a four pad program. We took 16 days <clears> off <throat> a four pad program. And so that is massively impactful. If you think of the energy used, the diesel used, the uh, the amount of resources that were on that pad every day, chugging away however many pump trucks are out there, how much diesel is being used, how, many, how much resources are out there, human resources, trucks going back and forth, all that stuff. You reduced 16 days of that on a four pad program right away. And so you can quantify that in, in, just by tracking the amount of difference uh, in what your that that four pad program was compared to your last four pad program, and you get an immediate audited reduction in ESG, in greenhouse gases and all and uh, all the rest of it that you can show an audit to anybody that's asking, and so that is a massive impact to this to this industry.
0: What I wrote down. Rather interesting, because I'm looking at it from more of the existential energy standpoint, you know, the 5,000-foot view of the 5,000-foot view. And we're looking at, you know, what I wrote down in my notes was well pads communicating and sharing their stories. And that's really what we're talking about here, is that these well pads, what you're allowing to happen is the well pads that communicate and share their stories with each other. And because it's computerized, it's all real instant time. Is that, that Am I writing my notes down correctly?
1: Yeah. So it's, it's uh, yes, but I don't think it's between the pads communicating. Okay. It's actually on pad. Yes. Is yes. that there's all this little small city of different companies, right? Yeah. And so to, right now they don't have a lot of communication, believe it or not, very limited and definitely no data sharing. Um, and, uh, that's not a hundred percent literal statement, but 98%, they don't share much data in real time for use. And so we're changing that to say, Hey, Guys, we shouldn't have a bunch of different companies with a bunch of different formats, with a bunch of different ways they do things. You can maintain how you do things. You can maintain your control system. You can maintain your formatting, everything. But here's the way we track the pad. And here's where you plug in that makes it standardized. So when you come up to a pad that's a smart pad versus an old style, you're not just going to plug into the central control system. Boom, lights go on. You can see everyone else's whatever data that the operator and you guys agree that they want to share. We can control that. We start sharing and then we start doing instance-based automation. We in turn help the service companies. We're a partner with them so that they can provide a vastly better service to their clients, which are the operators. We're all in it together to make a better operation for the operators and uh, move them away from having to be disjointed with the rest of the service companies out there into something that's more collaborative, standardized, faster, more economical, and then they can get into Uh, How they benefit from that is they start talking to the operator, saying, hey, if we're going to take this many days off a pad, if we're really changing the script and moving to full autonomy, we need to renegotiate the contracts so that we get paid uh, for the improved performance now that we can track it very accurately. And then everybody starts to get to a win-win.
0: You do quite a few interviews, don't you?
1: That's all I do. Yeah. I mean, I, I do the the sales for a lot of our high level sales with the big oil companies and the boardrooms and the service companies.
0: Yeah. <laughs> okay. Talking. So, and, and you're the yeah. CEO, right? You're the CEO. Yeah. And and, and you came up from sales. No wonder. Okay. So you've got, yeah, you've got quite the gift of uh, the gab. That's for sure. And well, and, and, to, you know, because, you know, we folks, we don't rehearse these, uh, you know, this is the first time, you know, that we've ever, that we've ever talked, you know, and, and so, uh, you know, Brett, Jill, and I, we're trying to, you know, f- figure out some of the stuff as we go. And I'm, I'm writing my notes down here because at the end of the day, this is, you know, journalistic. And so uh, you're speaking faster than I can write my notes. That's why I'm trying to say, boy, you're <laughs> you're, you're, you're a pro. I wasn't expecting that. Uh, okay, so what, what what do you have on the offset well then? Because I know I heard that too. So I, I get it. So the, the, the great analogy of is that basically... What happened in the energy industry, and correct me if I'm wrong on this, but what I basically heard was essentially the energy industry is being built with the, with the technology from the bottom up because the supply chain is so diverse and it's so you know it's so dynamic that that is the correct way that it had to work. And so you're the next level of we're essentially making the well into a logistical city. Is that what I'm hearing? That's right. Yeah, okay. Exactly. So what's the offsite well stuff then? Because I had that in my notes too with the monitoring, because that's where I got mixed up with the wells communicating.
1: Uh, okay. So the way you think of this is that, um, again, just to touch on this again, the way it's been thought of in the industry is that we have a pad, but we have all these service companies that are going to go out there. So we're going to look at each service company individually and try to optimize one each individually. That That is gone with us. That pad needs to be looked at in its entirety because they're all related. We don't have six individual timelines. We have one timeline of that, Pat. If you take six individual pieces of a timeline and try to put them together from six different sources, we all know how that's going to end up, right? Wrong. It's wrong. All of it's wrong. And you can do your best and you can clean it and it's extremely arduous, but you can add automation. You're going to hit a glass ceiling. A lot of your data is wrong. It's hard to optimize. So we get rid of that model. Cobor comes in, central control system, standardize the collection, one timestamp for the entire pad. And all of those service companies are just different. We look at it like different from a digital perspective, different digital assets. It doesn't really matter what they are. They just get plugged in, formatted and associated to a correct timeline. So that that then extends beyond that pad as well. Now that you've accomplished that new model, it extends infinitely. So now you want to have all of your offset wells they're individual digital data sets that typically would take a lot of horsepower from humans to go look at it if you had a communication event, because you have a separate data set over here, you have one over there. I think we communicated, I got to go look through a ton of data, spend four days finding that communication on the offset. Well, then I got to go back to my frac data and try to connect it to figure out how that happened. With ours, we have that central timeline on that pad. We just connect those offset wells in real time If we see a pressure spike in communication on an offset well, it automatically flags on the master pad what we were doing that time, that pressure from that frack on that well, and it associates it with the offset well. So it's all about just taking and that, you know, we we can go out to commodities, sand and water, sand from the mines. We should be tracking and managing trucks right from the mine with automated responses from that pad. We can do that now because we're going to connect it to that single timeline. So it just proliferates. It's all about taking as much digital, as many digital inputs that are related to that pad as we can and building a model to start with that allows us to connect them once and not have people have to manage and move data. It's all automated. So that's the idea behind the offset. wells.
0: So here's the thing that kind of surprised me about the oil and gas industry when I got into this in 2011 was that they were a little bit behind on this type of technology, and what I mean by that is is I had been covering drones and UAS and UAVs and oh there was mm-hmm. even a couple other acronyms they tried back in the late 2000s as well that didn't pick up. but uh, be, because of the agriculture ind- industry, because the ag- agriculture industry was an early adapter of that. And I don't know if that's just that was through the uh, uh, trades with Israel, but they had done a lot with Israel. So back in 2006, 2007, we were doing stories on Israel had uh, drones the size of honeybees, you know, and so now they're, of course, yep. na- nano size. So when, when I look at the way, and I would do, you know, uh, quarterly drone updates with the um, North Dakota Ag Director, Doug Goring, to, to the point people thought we were conspiracy radio for a while talking about drones in the sky, <laughs> you know. And, but what yeah, we were, yeah. what we're, and, and what we were trying to explain to people is just basically this. Is that you're gonna have a couple <coughs> a couple actions happening here? Is that you've got sensors in the ground or sensors somewhere that basically allow the drones to fly overhead. And those drones are gonna be able to see every single plant that's in the row of sunflowers, in the row of potatoes, and et cetera. And if there's a, you know, if there's a potato blight, if there's a little disease, well then that's gonna signify. Either another drone or maybe a, maybe it's a four-wheeler type drone that comes over and does a little perfume mist of uh, pesticide or some sort of whatever to take care of that problem. And it's going to vastly reduce the dependency for farming on, on uh, pesticides and chemicals and, and et cetera. And then right. at the same time, it's going to increase the crops and the bumpers. And, and then you're going to also reduce a lot of the actual uh, diesel that's being done through tractors and et cetera. So we've been doing you know, this type of impact, you know, like I said, the 5,000-foot view with a 5,000-foot view type stuff for over 10, 15 years. And so when I'm seeing this kind of coming in the oil and gas industry, it's, it's kind of different to watch because, like I said, the supply chain is, is so diverse and direct. Now, yeah. the reason I bring that up is I, I, I'm, what I'm going to ask you is probably a rerun of what you've already said, but I'm going to ask you to do it in like a kind of a concise, uh, easy sure. version for people. And that's carbon management, because that's the ne- next big buzzword. So when ESG is done, carbon management's the next big buzzword if it's not already taking over. Um, what, what do you tell, you know, talk to me like I'm a, like I'm a customer, you know, a potential customer. What what do you tell somebody when you got that two, three, you know, minute elevator pitch when it comes to carbon management?
1: Good question. So I've never heard that before. So this is good. I like getting put on my toes or my heels. So I would say that if you're talking about carbon management, the first thing I hear is that they're going to my mind goes right to carbon capture or scrubbing or cleaning or all that stuff. That, cause that's what we hear a lot more of. There's a lot more people focused on taking carbon out of the air. I'd say right now with what we're doing, we can focus on reducing what we put into the air first by making your operation automated and more efficient and using less diesel to start with. So we can make more money. We can make the operation faster. We can make it cheaper. We can reduce infrastructure, and we can reduce the amount of hydrocarbons you burn to accomplish that same job dramatically. And that's all done through centralized automation. And that's where we live. So we're the first step in doing that before you look at any, anything else for carbon capture. Let's figure out how to put less in the air first. Let's get that down to a bare minimum. And then we can start looking at how to move even further than that after the
0: fact. Well, that was one of the things I learned through kind of my my weekly updates with the Meridian Energy Group was a lot of the digitization of a lot of the different parts, especially even in the engineering showed a lot of the impacts being done. In the refinery, it was done a lot through the angles of pipes, just something as basic as figuring out new ways that pipes are going to be angled and able to make the flow better. And it showed all the way, you know, to the end result of how that's, like you mentioned, the diesel consumption and, you know, just all these different route to the, you know, cradle to grave, if you will, of, of the sources of energy. So um, I, I just wanted to point out to people that... The, there is a there is an advantage to the digitization of things um how how do you guide people through that because that's another one of those things where where do you stop i mean where 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 do you stop because man that's a that's willy wonka and charlie factory in, in the candy store man yeah
1: well i and that's a great point i'd say this for oil companies big service companies for the most part they that they're not software companies They shouldn't be doing it at at scale. They shouldn't be trying to develop enterprise software. Now they've been forced to, because they don't have very many options for a platform in completion. Specifically, where we are, they've been forced to try to do their own data collection from the field, forced to build platforms to look at it, forced to because there's no real good options. But people have only ever thought about doing that holistically for three or four years, five years maybe, since the downturn. Before that, it was a -a frackathon, right? And they didn't care. Um, Now everybody cares. So. I would say right now, the last three years, some oil companies have been going through that where they're trying to spin up their own software teams. It's not what they do. Uh, they don't have, they're, they're nowhere near the resources that we're putting into it. We're working as a collective, right? We're building a standardized platform where a rising tide lifts all ships. We're working with 25 different operators and 50 different service companies. All the ideas are coming in. Everything's getting standardized. It's going to get cheaper. It's going to get more effective. It's like the Amazon model. You're building a platform. Everything's gonna get cheaper to sell. You can do more volume. You can do more efficient. There's gonna be less people to run it. That's our business. And so what I would say as far as the digitization and look at that mountain to climb is there is stuff that they got to do internally, obviously uh, to digitize some stuff. But when you're talking about platforms to that, that extend out to actual hardware and automation in the field that are physically connecting service companies and providing automation, and that's connected to your digital platform that is moving your data internally populating your databases and then going to contracts like that holistic perspective. It's here, right? We're here. This exists. Operators before didn't have a choice. Now there's, in my opinion, if you're an operator that's still putting heavy development into software and platforms like this, what you're doing is you're developing on an Island that the industry is moving to standardization because it's cheaper, better, more economical, rising time, there's shifts. You get way more features. That's all happening. We're pouring tens of millions into only that. That's all we do and you're over here still developing stuff that's one-off with three or four developers that's not going to connect not going to communicate and have a different format you're going to put yourself on an island and end up with a bunch of technical debt and so that's my big push right now of education is this is the route let's get together let's standardize let's automate and don't worry about this huge you know because you like you said if you start digitizing and you're an oil company how many how many different paths are you going to chase with all these service companies all these different like you have to redevelop the same frack software for 10 different service companies because they're all different they connect differently they have different formats we figured all that out we just show up put it down plug it in and you go to work doing what you do best
0: well i definitely see where there's even probably a couple phases left because this is this is going to be done in phases a lot of this. Mm-hmm. Uh, digitization, because especially in the oil and gas industry, the supply chain is so endless in just all the different ways. And I'll I'll give you an example, folks. Um, Seven, eight years ago, you can take a look uh, at thecrudelife.com, go back and listen to the interview with Carrie Frank. She's with Comply 360, uh, 365, and um, what that asked, what she talked about in the interview was the digitization of the airline industry, about... First of all, she was a female. Had to fight that, and then secondly, um, just trying to get people to understand that an iPad, you know, wasn't some Chinese CIA spying device. You know, there was a little bit of a learning curve for phones and yeah. self. Oh man, I mean, back in the day when people would yell at you if you send them a text, like to stop, you know, destroying my minute plan and all these different things. I mean, so <laughs> oh, it was a it was a different world. But uh, what what she was able to basically do. Was get the airlines or a lot of the majors to bring their black box, their fifty pound black box that was full of uh, rules and regulations and procedures printed on paper to to an iPad, and of course, the, you know that that took years. By the way, folks, that took years because there's a lot of people that want documentation, and there's a lot of people that worry about power failures and connectivities and all these different things. So. There were several years of educating, the you know, the best and the brightest of the industries. So, but, but at the end of the day, what they found out was not only did it make the cost savings of paper cheaper and, you know, all, all the stuff that you thought out of the gate, but what they found out was that they saved gas because every flight at 50 pounds taken off at the end of the year actually made a percentage point difference to where it made that much of an impact, so... That's what happens, folks, and it takes a while to flush some of this stuff out because there's so many different ways that things are being saved, and so many different ways that uh, money's being redirected and recycled, and all kinds of different things. So, did that did that make sense to you? What I just said, hundred percent.
1: Yeah, in in the context of what we're talking about in completions, that um, that story is that um, most of the narrative in, in, oil and gas drilling has changed. Cause it was, it's further ahead than completions. They already know this. Um, but in completions is that, uh, the, the mentality has been, I'm going to develop my own software or hardware or, or widget, and I'm going to keep all of my information to myself. And I'm going to use that for a competitive advantage. And that was for the last 10 years, right? I got a widget because I know how to do this problem is, when you have major downturns like we do, huge pricing pressure, and the industry has to change, which now it's changing. Even though oil prices are coming back up, people are not going to let off the gas in terms of automation and, and change. Um, what happens when all this, when when all that goes down, is that the mentality there has to be a big shift. And when a platform like us or, or other companies come in that are providing something like this, the shift is that when you, as service companies, when you are trying to maintain your own individualized widgets to sell to operators, you're creating a larger problem for them. What that means is is that they may get a widget with service company A that is quite cool or or a nice-to-have. But if everyone's trying to sell that nice-to-have widget and it's proprietary, none of them are putting any effort into connecting together to standardize which would mean to an oil company, if they would just stop with the mentality of, I'm gonna keep everything to myself for this widget, and that's gonna be my competitive advantage. And we got together and said, let's all start sharing data, get on a common platform and standardize. You will flat out change how fracking is done from manual to fully automated. It'll be a 30, 40% overall distance, but difference by the time this all plays out. That is how oil companies will see massive differences half the industry realizes that right now and they're running towards it because the first people to get on that standardized platform are now going to have a new competitive advantage. They can plug and play it. They can provide automated everything. They they're going to start running away with a new business model on these pads that makes the old way of doing it obsolete. It just can't compete from a price perspective. And so we see that shedding of technology, of, of old mentality that takes time that you, that you're describing. Right. It takes a little bit of time, but we it's an exponential thing. And now we're really seeing it roll. So it's quite exciting to watch, actually.
0: Well, what have we left out? What do you want people to know about, you know, what is you guys are doing? How is it you're changing the industry, you know, and in case we want to repeat anything, anything we left out? I like to give uh, guests kind of the final word, the final thought. So a question isn't really framed by me, but at the same time, you know, maybe. Maybe there's something we didn't even touch on. So, but at the same time, you know, wh- wh- what do you want people to walk away from this with?
1: Uh, I know it's been a great chat. Um, I, I I love this. Uh, I think if anything from our side from Colbor, um, everyone that knows us knows us as the the automation and, and central master control system, SmartPad, um, and they look at it and say, yeah, that's built for operators to get control of their pads, but. of what we do is working with service companies, all the biggest service companies, the frack, the wireline, the pump down, we're working with a ton of them. We literally develop hand in hand to get connected and help them move their needle along to become fully automated. So a lot of Cold War's business is we are full partnership with all the service companies, completely agnostic. And so I think that's, if I can throw one thing out, that's what it is. We work with service companies as much as we do operators.
0: How do people get in touch with you guys if they want to give you some business?
1: Uh, We got a website. We got some YouTube channels getting started. We're going to go really heavy on YouTube and social and everything like that. So we're going to make it easy for people to find us. But uh, websites and Google us. uh, There's lots. It's it's all right there, top of the Google page.